0: This week, Kelly Harrington was welcomed back to Dublin with an open-top bus parade to celebrate her Olympic gold medal. But of course, not every athlete had such a successful Olympic Games. There were many who tried their best and were just beaten by better athletes. But there were others who fell foul of the rules and ended up being disqualified. So before the athletics started, 20 athletes were disqualified for doping violations. Then two Irish sailors, they were uh, disqualified from two of their races because their trapeze, their their harness, was 90 grams heavier than the permitted 2 kilograms. A British sprinter, he was disqualified from his 100 meter final because of a false start. A French boxer, he refused to to leave the, the boxing ring when he was disqualified from for clashing heads with a, with his opponent. And then a Saudi Arabian, then maybe the strangest one that I heard of, was disqualified in the karate final for knocking out his opponent with a high kick. I guess you're not allowed to do that in karate. You're supposed to fight without hurting somebody or something like that, I don't know. But if you're going to compete in the Olympic Games, you have to do it within the rules. Or you're going to lose your chance to win the prize. And so as we thought about last week, Paul, he was really vigilant in his life, so that after I have preached to others, he says, I will, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. But there were some in Corinth, who didn't feel as if that could ever happen to them. They were confident of their spirituality, of their maturity, and they felt immune to this kind of disaster in their Christian lives. And so in this next section of his letter, Paul looked back at the history of God's people to show them the danger of presumptuous Overconfidence. And he warned them that they needed to be careful how they lived so they wouldn't fall. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 13. And Leona is going to come up and she's going to read to us.
1: For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the accumulation of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it.
0: Thank you very much, Leona. So from this passage, I want us to see four challenges. Four challenges that Paul brought here that can help us not to fall in our Christian lives. So the first challenge is, do not be ignorant. Verse 1, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact that... Brothers, some people say that ignorance is bliss. But Paul wouldn't agree. He would disagree to that. A lack of understanding is really dangerous. To be ignorant can lead us to make disastrous choices in our lives. And so Paul wanted these Christians to know something that was really important. And that truth was that God's blessings are no guarantee of success in our lives, in our Christian lives. Just because we are privileged to know Christ does not mean that we will receive the prize from Christ. And Paul proved this by looking back. At the experience of the people of Israel when they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. As God's chosen people, they were all privileged. So look again at verse 1. Our forefathers were all under the cloud. They all experienced God's presence in that pillar of cloud that guided them by day and by night. Then verse 1 again. They all passed through the sea. So they all experienced God's protection as he opened up that red sea. And led them through on dry ground when they're being chased by the Egyptian army. And so Paul says in verse 2, they were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Passing through that Red Sea with the the water all around them was like a baptism. It was like being immersed in water. And so was a picture of their being baptised into Moses. Which means that they were willingly and voluntarily and unconditionally placing themselves under his leadership. It was their declaration that they were God's people and they were accepting God's rule and God's reign in their lives through God's servant Moses. And as God's people, verse 3 and 4, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. As they travelled, God supernaturally provided them with manna to eat. Remember the, the, the bread that just appeared on the ground each morning. And then water to drink out of the rock that Moses struck. Which Paul says was a symbol of Christ. Who was the true provider of what they needed on that journey. So all of those Israelites, every single one of them were blessed. Everyone who, who was brought out of Egypt in the Exodus, they were all blessed. They knew God's presence. They experienced His protection. They were declared to be God's people. And they were sustained by God's provision. And Paul makes the connection between them and the people in Corinth and says, you two guys... Christians, you're also privileged. Because they too knew God's presence in their lives. Not through a visible cloud, but through Christ, who is our Emmanuel, which means God with us, as Matthew 1 and 23 says. And they'd also experienced God's protection through their faith in Christ. Galatians 1 says this Who about Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And these Christians in Corinth had also been baptised into, not into Moses, but into Christ. They were now living as God's people, living under Christ's lordship in their lives. We're going to get to chapter 12 in this letter when Paul says we were all baptized by one body into one, by one spirit, sorry, into one body. And they'd also enjoyed God's provision through Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. In John chapter 6. So, both these Christians in Corinth and the people of Israel, as they were brought out of Egypt, both of those sets of people were all blessed. They were all inc- incredibly privileged. But Paul wanted him to know that this did not mean that they would all win the prize, they were privileged. But they wouldn't all win the prize. So look at verse (coughs) 5. Excuse me. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Out of all of that adult generation who left Egypt during the Exodus, only two, Joshua and Caleb, Entered into the promised land. The rest of that generation died during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And they died, they didn't enter into that promised land because of their rebellion against God. They missed it. Now, that doesn't mean that they were outside of God's kingdom. Paul is not trying to say anything about their eternal destiny. But he is saying that although that generation were incredibly privileged, they didn't win the prize. Although they were incredibly blessed by God, they missed out on the best that God wanted for them. And Paul wanted us to know that this can happen in our Christian lives too. If we put our trust in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, then we have been saved. Our eternal salvation is guaranteed. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But that privilege is no guarantee of success. If we don't heed the warning in this passage, then we too can mess up our lives. We too can fail to enter into God's best for us. We too can miss on the opportunity to be everything that God has called us to be. We too can fail to bring God the glory that He
1: deserves.
0: We too can be disqualified for the prize. And so Paul's second challenge for us is for us not to be deceived. Look at verse 6. These things are carved as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. In the Bible, God recorded the failure of these Israelites so that we can learn from them. So we won't be deceived by the same temptation that the nation of Israel was deceived by. And that is because every temptation is a deception. The power of that temptation comes from convincing us that we will be happier, that we will be more satisfied, that our lives will be better. If we give into that temptation rather than following God. So the way to overcome that temptation, the way to reject that and stand against that temptation is to see through the lie. It's to not be deceived by it. To see that it's just simply telling us something that's not true. To see that even although that temptation promises so much, in the end it only gives us loss and disaster. This is what James says in James chapter 1. He says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So Paul wants us to look back at the experience of the Israelites and see how their lives were destroyed by giving in to those various temptations so that we won't make the same mistakes. Now of course some of us might be sitting here and saying, well this this is completely irrelevant for us. Because we don't live in the same times as the people of Israel. We don't live in the same era. We don't face the same temptations. We don't face the same struggles. Our circumstances are so different that that has got nothing to teach us. But Paul disagrees because he believes that their experiences are incredibly relevant for us. And the reason is because verse 13, no temptation has seized you. Except what is common to man. Temptation is common to us all. It doesn't matter what year we live in. Whether we're way back to the Exodus, or we're living in the first century uh, AD, as the Corinthians were in in their church, or now in the 21st century. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. Whether we're living in the wilderness, or whether we're living in in Corinth, or whether we're living in Enniscorthy. We all face similar temptations. There are common issues that we all face. Yes, in different ways and to different levels, but these are common issues that we face. So Paul warned us here, verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. That's what the Israelites did when Aaron, remember he made that golden calf when Moses was up Mount Sinai. And they all bowed down to him and said, this is our God who, who delivered us from Egypt. But this is also what we do anytime we put something or someone else in God's place in our lives. When we give something or someone else Our ultimate loyalty, or our deepest affection, or our greatest admiration. When we look to them, instead of God, for our ultimate joy, and as our greatest treasure. And just like with the nation of Israel, when we do that, it always ends up in disaster. This is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own systems, their own wells, broken systems that can hold no water. When we turn away from God to those other things for our security or for our satisfaction or our significance, then we always end up empty and lost. They are like broken systems that can hold no water. We're desperately looking after them, running after them, but never get that satisfaction. Secondly, Paul said we should not commit sexual immorality, this is verse 8, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. The Israelites, they gave in to their desires, and they slept with the, the Moabite woman. And they did this because they thought that would make them happier. They thought their life would be better, just giving in to their, their sexual desires. But instead, they suffered these disastrous consequences. 23,000 of them died in that day. And any time we give in to our desires and step outside of God's plan for sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife in a lifelong, exclusive, committed relationship then we too end up in disaster every time. Thirdly, Paul said, verse 9, we should not test the Lord as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. This happened because the people of Israel grew impatient with God. They thought that they knew better than God did. And so they spoke out against God. And as crazy as it sounds, we are tempted to think that we know better than God does. So instead of trusting Him that He loves us completely and that He knows better than us and that His will is always good and pleasing and perfect, we give out to Him. We complain. We argue. We try to tell God what He should be doing. Or we simply just turn away from Him and just go and do our own thing. Rather than waiting on God's timing in God's perfect plan and that always leads to disaster Proverbs 16 verse 25 says there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death every time then fourthly Paul said verse 10 do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel Instead of seeing all the amazing things that God had done in our lives. Remember those ten plagues, going walking through the the Red Sea, the manna on the ground, the water from the rock. Instead of all of that, God's presence and His protection and His provision. Again and again the people of Israel grumbled. They criticized, they complained, they lashed out at God and His leaders. And we too can fall into that horrible trap. Sounds crazy, but we can. We can be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All by His outrageous grace, paid for through the blood of Jesus. And yet we can be filled with anger, and frustration, and resentment, Because God's not doing what we want Him to do. Because God doesn't eh, do what we want. He doesn't give us what we want. And as a result, we miss out on the joy that He wants to fill our lives with. By helping us to see what He has already done in our lives. No wonder David wrote in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How easy we forget. How easy we lose sight of what God has done and complain about what God isn't doing that we want him to. So Paul says, don't be deceived by those temptations. See through the lie. See that they never deliver on their promise. See that they always lead to disaster. But you know, some people might think this is all unnecessary for us. Because they would never fall into those traps. They are far too committed in their, and strong in their faith in Christ to ever give in to those temptations. That seems to be the case in the Corinthian church. They thought that this could never happen to them. But Paul's third challenge is don't be overconfident. Verse 1 these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Those Israelites, they didn't think that they could ever fall away from God. They didn't think they could fall into idolatry and immorality and testing and grumbling against God. They didn't think that they would die in the desert and miss out on God's best for them in the promised land. So we need to take this as a serious warning. As Paul says in verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If we are here this morning and think, well, this could never happen to us. If we think that our faith is too strong to ever wander away, to ever be disqualified for the prize. Then we are in real serious danger. Because it doesn't matter how long we've been following Jesus. It doesn't matter how much we think we know. All of us are susceptible to temptation. Every single one of us. This is what one church leader who fell away from God and made a mess of his ministry said. I'm quoting him. He said this, over the years, I remember hearing many times about pastors who fell into sin and saying to myself, I would never do that. I honestly thought it could never happen to me. But I found out that I'm way more weak and sinful than I ever imagined. Oh, how I wish I would have really heard and believed those words from Paul. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Folks, we need to be humble enough and honest enough. To recognize our own weaknesses. This is what Jesus taught us to do. When he told us to pray. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. That's a prayer for those of us who know that that we're weak enough to fall into temptation. That we're susceptible to any temptation. And we're asking God for the help that we so desperately need. But finally, that doesn't mean that we need to be discouraged. In fact, that's Paul's final challenge in this passage. Yes, we are weak and we are vulnerable. But God is faithful. We are not alone in this fight. We do not need to depend on our own resources. We don't need to stand in our own strength. God is with us. And he is faithful to his people. And so verse 13 again. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. What an amazing promise this is. Even in the middle of our our strongest temptations. Even in the the toughest times that we go through in life, God is still in control. He is still in charge of even the most challenging situations that we might face. And He won't let those situations get too much for us. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean we're going to sail through life without facing any difficult temptations. But what it does mean is that we don't need to listen to that lie that tells us that because this situation is so difficult, because this temptation is so strong, because of the way that we're made up, we just need to give in to it. We just need to sin. That we can't resist any longer. Because it's just too hard. That is a lie from the devil. Because God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And he will rescue us. He will also provide a way out. So that you can stand up under whenever we are faced with temptation to sin, we can stand against it. We can refuse to give in. We can choose to live for God. Because God will provide a way out. That way out out might be to just run from that situation to get as far away from it as possible. It might be to cut off some things in our lives or even some people. In our, in our relationships. It might be to turn to other Christians for help. But Paul is promising us that failure is not inevitable in our lives. Yes, in, in the face of temptations, we do need to be honest with ourselves. We do need to be aware and accept our weakness. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be discouraged. Because we don't need to be defeated. We are not on our own in this battle. Jesus is with us. And as Hebrews chapter 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But we have one. Who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let's learn from these people who were disqualified and who missed out on the, on, the, on the prize. Let's not be ignorant. But understand that privilege does not guarantee success. Let's not be deceived. But see through the lies of the common temptations that we all face. Let's not be overconfident. But accept our weakness and our susceptibility to temptation. And let's not be discouraged. Because no matter what temptations we face, we do not need to fall. Because our God is faithful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you that you understand our weaknesses. Thank you that you understand our struggles. Thank you that you can sympathise with us in our difficulties. And Lord, thank you that you can speak into each of these situations that we face, Lord. We are, we as a group of your people, Lord, we're all facing different situations, different temptations, but yet these are, temptations are common. They're not unique to us, Lord. There's not something wrong with us that we are struggling with these particular issues in our lives. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of that. But thank you for the the great encouragement to know, Lord, that you want to be with us in those temptations. That you want to help us through those temptations. You want to help us to stand up under those temptations so that we might be able to honour you, so that we might be able to follow you, so that we might be able to bring glory to you and finish the race that you have set out for us. Father, I pray that this morning, in each one of our lives, that we will again just commit our lives to you, that we will again come to you and depend on you for the grace and the mercy that we need in the difficult situations that we face, so that we might live a life that's pleasing to you, that 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 is a witness to this world, and that glorifies your name. Lord, help us not to fall. Help us not to miss out on the prize. Lord, I pray you'd help us to, to run this race and run it for your honour and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.